Great. Good morning, everyone. So we are kicking off a new series uh, this Sunday, and over the next six weeks, we're going to be taking a look at some Old Testament passages that form part of the walk through the Bible plan that many of many of us are following. If you haven't joined in with that yet, there is still time. So as of Monday, it'll be day five. There are some booklets still on the desk in the welcome area. Do pick one up on your way out if you'd like to join in with us. It's basically six, six Bible readings for Monday through to Saturday. Have a break on Sunday or catch up, whatever you need to do. And that will take us up uh, to Lent. And it's a, it's a, a great way to, you know, for us all to be reading um, the same thing. You don't have to be following that plan to benefit from the Sunday series, of course. And our messages won't assume that you are following that plan. But if you are following that plan, then Sundays will perhaps add a little something to your Bible readings. So um, today we start at the start with Genesis chapter 1. And if you feel comfortable doing this, can I invite you to shut your eyes? And I want you to imagine a perfectly smooth glass pavement on which the finest speck can be seen. Now shrink our sun, which is the star at the centre of our solar system, to a ball two feet in diameter and place that ball on the pavement to represent the sun. Now walk 50 metres away from the ball and place a tiny mustard seed on the glass pavement. That's mercury. Walk a further 35 metres and place a football. That's Venus. Walk another 50 metres and place a green pea representing Earth. Walk another 65 metres and for Mars, put down a pinhead. Sprinkle some fine dust for the asteroids, then walk half a kilometre. And for Jupiter, place an orange on the glass pavement. Walk another half kilometre and put down a golf ball for Saturn. And after a kilometre and a bit, put down a marble for Uranus. And after another kilometre and a half, put down a cherry for Neptune. So you're now on the edge of a circle, eight kilometres or five miles in diameter. From a large ball in the centre, you've placed a seed, a football, a pea, a pinhead, some dust, an orange, a golf ball, a marble, and a cherry. And the nearest star to you on this scale is 6,720 miles away. And that's just the first star among millions. And all of it in perpetual motion, perfectly synchronised, the most accurate timepiece known to man. You can open your eyes. Was there ever a greater understatement than this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created it big, vast, 
vast universe. And he created it small, so modern cameras open up the incredible detail of the universe, like the eyes of the jumping spider. He created it rare, like this cactus flower which comes into bloom one night each year to reproduce and gone by the morning. He filled the seas with billions of fish. He painted birds with ridiculous colours. He made a frog that gets through the winter by allowing itself to freeze solid. He made a beetle that can carry 850 times its weight. So for me, that would be the equivalent of five double-decker buses. He made a bird that in its lifetime flies about two million kilometers. That's to the moon and back, and to the moon again, and back, and to the moon again. And he made an, a mammal with a tongue longer than its body. By now, your jaw should be on the floor. <laughs> we could go on. G.K. Chesterton wrote that the world will never starve <coughs> for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. If we have no reaction to any of that, then just we need to check our pulse. We live in an incredible, amazing universe. And to all of this, God added his seal of approval in Genesis chapter 1. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good is the recurring refrain. And then we get to this. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And it's only once he's created and blessed mankind and made mankind stewards over his creation that he pronounces it to be very good. So creation as a whole calls us to pause in awe and wonder at its creator. But all of this is the setting for God's masterpiece, humankind. You know, the, the, the frame, the frame of the Mona Lisa is beautiful. It's the work of a craftsman. But it's just the setting for something greater still. And so although it's right that the created world inspires us to praise, and it should do, and the psalmists and the New Testament writers all respond accordingly, and we should too, Genesis is not primarily about the world around us. Genesis is really about humankind in all of our wonderful variety. In fact, if we did a whistle-stop tour of Genesis, we'd come to the conclusion that it's really about one particular family. So it starts with Adam and Eve, and then their descendants, Noah, and then we close in on Noah's son, Shem, and then from Shem we go to his descendant, Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then most of the book is taken up with Joseph. So what's going on here? What is Genesis really about? Well, the answer unfolds in the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Because the story of the Bible is the story of God's desire to share himself with others. 
And it begins with this perfect world and with humanity in unbroken relationship with God. And it ends with this perfect world and humanity in unbroken relationship with God. But in the middle, we have the story of our rebellion, the story of God's rescue plan, and of the road to recovery through the work of the Holy Spirit. So Genesis is all about God creating and then reaching out to humanity. And as I say, that's not to, to, not to diminish the importance and the glory and the rest of creation. As I've said already, the created world inspires the psalmist. It inspires the prophets and the other writers to, to declare God's majesty. The created world is glorious and I love it. But the story of the Bible is primarily a story about God and his desire to share himself with us. And that is why in Genesis 1 we read that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, down through the ages, scholars have had a field day with this verse and what it means to be made in the image of God. What exactly does it mean? Well, there are some things it might mean. Perhaps the answer lies in our distinctiveness from other creatures. Human beings have been endowed with rational thought, with the ability to conceive new things and to translate them into designs and products. We have a sense of self and identity that doesn't appear to be shared with the rest of the created world. Perhaps that's the answer, or part of it. Perhaps it lies in our moral nature. Oh, jumped ahead there, don't need to do that. Perhaps it lies in our moral nature, our ability to know right from wrong, to choose between right and wrong, to feel guilt. As Mark Twain put it, man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. Perhaps the answer lies in our spiritual nature, our ability to enter into a relationship with God. And perhaps the answer is that it's all of those things. What we do know from the New Testament is that Jesus is the perfect example, the blueprint of the image of God. So the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians chapter 1. We also know that it's God's plan to make us like him. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And we also know that God is achieving his purpose. Romans chapter 8 we all, sorry, Romans chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 3. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. So, whatever it means to be made in God's image, these three things we do know. That the blueprint is Jesus. That God's plan is to make us like him, to restore that image in us and that God is achieving his good purpose. It was very good at the beginning. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It will be very good at the end, 
as we see from Revelation 22. And in the middle, God is not just twiddling his thumbs, waiting for the curtains to come down, but making it very good in between times by making us more like Jesus. And frankly, it's a good job he is, because left to our own devices, we would make a mess of it. I wonder if any of you remember this story when it came out. So this is a fresco by uh, Elias García Martínez, painted around 1930, located in the sanctuary of Mercy Church near Zaragoza. And this is how it looked after 80 years of exposure to moisture. And this is what became of it after an amateur artist worked on it in 2012. Cecilia Jimenez, a woman in her 80s, was reportedly upset at the way the fresco had deteriorated and took it on herself to restore the image. Now, her attempts to restore it were in good faith, but the results were, uh, shall we be generous and say, unfortunate. Our attempts to become better people, nicer human beings more generous, more forgiving, will also result in unfortunate outcomes, at least if we are familiar with the original design. Now, I don't know, maybe you prefer the updated version to the original. Art is a very personal thing, after all, so I'm not going to judge you for that. And maybe you think our attempts at self-improvement are doing the job. Maybe when... We get it right, we can become better people. But the point is the results of our efforts will be far removed from God's original design for humanity of men and walking, men and women humbly walking before their God, stewarding all they have out of love for him. This kind of work is only God, only God is skilled to perform by the work of his Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who have offered themselves to him. So let me recap and then we'll ask the so what question. First of all, God has made an amazing universe and filled our planet with incredible things, incredible creatures. But this incredible environment is the setting for God's masterpiece, humankind made in God's image. Genesis describes the creation of this masterpiece and how it was damaged and is the start of the story of God reaching out to humanity to restore that image. The story carries on through the Old Testament into the New Testament, which points us to Jesus, God's blueprint of what it means to be in God's image and the solution to restoring that image. And all other solutions fall short of that blueprint. Well, so what? What does that mean for us? Well, the first answer to the so what question is that we should be asking ourselves whether we are on board with God's plan for this universe, for us. God's ultimate plan is the restoration of a perfect world with humanity in unbroken relationship with him. But his plan for you, for now, 
is to restore God's image in you. To make you more like his son, Jesus. So the question we ought to be asking ourselves is, how do we join in? How do we join in with God's plan for ourselves? Well, I think it begins with accepting that we're not a perfect image of God, that we can't become one through our own efforts. And it continues by accepting that Jesus is the perfect image of God and trusting in him and following him for the rest of our days. This is the most fundamental answer to the so what question that flows out of Genesis chapter 1. But a second answer builds on the first. We recognize that there is a lifetime of restorative work to be done to make us more like Jesus. And we readily submit to that by cultivating a relationship with God. Through the things we talk about Sunday after Sunday here, things like reading his word and practicing it, through prayer, through service, all those other things that we discuss midweek in our small groups and in our one-to-one conversations. Growing closer to God, becoming more like Jesus. Those are the two most important, most fundamental questions that drop out of Genesis chapter 1. But there are more, and we haven't got time to go into them all. If we believe that we are made in God's image, and we believe we have been given unique gifts and we've been given unique responsibilities that are not shared with any other part of creation, then we must use those gifts and we must follow up on those responsibilities. So here are just two, just two examples to the so what question. We have been given the incredible gift of a mind, not just a natural mind which follows its natural instincts. We can think... We can solve problems, we can draw conclusions, understand concepts, learn from history sometimes, perform maths equations, imagine futures, design technologies, create works of art, learn languages, express ourselves in worship, and on and on and on. We have an incredible gift up here in our heads. The language is antiquated, but this sentiment from author James Allen hits the mark, I think. He says, a man's mind may be likened to a garden which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild, but whether cultivated or neglected, it must and will bring forth. If no useful seeds are put into it, then an abundance of useless weed seeds will fall therein and will continue to produce their kind. So a simple takeaway question for us this morning is what are we putting into our minds? We've been given this great, this incredible gift. How are we feeding it? Are we feeding it? Are we just kind of letting it run to ruin? Or are we attending to it? Using that gift to its full. So that's, that's one response. A second response to the so what question is the responsibility entrusted to us of the environment in which we've been placed. 
Now we're straying into Genesis 2 a bit here, but what did God do with his masterpiece? We read that the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. My small group recently, one of the members said very rudely that they wouldn't come to me for gardening advice. <laughs> Still working through my issues of resentment to that comment. He was right, of course. But uh, the general principles of Genesis 2.15 are not that we should all be gardeners, but that firstly work is good and that we are stewards of the earth. So just picking up on that second one, we are stewards of the earth. I probably don't need to say this. You probably hear it day after day now. Read it, see it on your screens. Global warming, pollution of the earth, the sea, the atmosphere, destruction of the natural habitat, overconsumption. Unless you are living in a bubble, you know that our world is not in a good shape. Our planet is not in a good shape. And as Christians, we believe that this is God's world and that we are stewards of it. And we've done a pretty poor job of it in recent times. But that doesn't mean we just kind of give up as individuals and society. Now, we can't individually solve the world's problems, but we can play our small part to contribute to the solution. There are loads of other applications from Genesis chapter 1. We could have a whole series on Genesis 1 in and of itself. But those are just a few thoughts I wanted to leave you with this morning. So a quick recap. We have this incredible creation. It's the setting for us, God's masterpiece, humanity. But mankind is fallen. Humankind is fallen. But Jesus, God's blueprint, God's solution came down to earth. So what is our response to that? Are we on board with God's plan between times, between the perfection that there was at the start and the perfection that's to come? Are we playing our part in that? Are we joining in with God's plan, becoming more like Jesus? And then two of the other practical implications that drop out of Genesis 1. We have this incredible, unique ability to think like no other creature on the planet. So how are we feeding our minds? How are we using them? And then we have this incredible place to live and to spend our lives. How are we looking after it? There's so much more we could say about Genesis chapter 1, but I hope something from some of those thoughts may stay with you uh, today. Amazing creation awestruck as the song goes we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim you are amazing god <laughs>